0: Hey Steve. This is Duncan. Um, I wanted to do this by voice instead of email or post. Um, You realize that episode 42 is coming up. I really hope something cool gets done uh, by y'all in the intro or something for that. Um, I'm sure you get the reference. If not, um, drop me an email. Uh, Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Escape
1: podcast. 42, February 23rd, 2006. Today's story, Practical Villainy, by Jenny Lee Simner.
2: Hello, welcome once again to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. 42, let's see, 42, what could that mean? I'm sure there's an answer somewhere, but so many questions... Let's see. Last week I talked about the meaning, or loss of meaning, of the word amateur. The flip side to that is, well, maybe less controversial, but the edges are just as fuzzy. And that's professional. The definition of a professional in a field is very literal. You are doing what you're doing as your main occupation, you are making your living off of it. That's what we assume when we hear about professional golfers, or professional musicians, or a professional association. What's annoying, though, is that the meaning gets blurry when applied to fiction writing. We talk a lot about pro-writers, usually meaning anyone who's making anything off their writing beyond occasional beer money. They're selling novels to major publishers, usually with advances of a few thousand dollars for countless hours of work. Or they're selling stories to the markets which pay, quote, professional rates. But that's just a matter of degree, and those rates, while they are a lot higher than what startup markets like a pod can pay, are set lower than you can base a real career on. Most pro-writers can't afford to write for a full-time living, and certainly nobody can make a living on short fiction. I wish they could, because there's a lot of people I'd like to see more from. But that's the hard economic truth. It's not because publishers are shafting them. Well, not mostly. It's because the demand for prose fiction is not that high compared to other forms of entertainment, and the demand is spread among a lot of markets and writers these days. What can you do about it? You can buy the books of the writers you like, and you can support the short story markets that put out the sorts of stories you like to read, and tell your friends about them. I'm not just talking about Escape Pod with that. I'm not even principally talking about Escape Pod. We don't compete with the print publishers. We want all of them to succeed. One of our driving goals here is to get enough people excited about short stories again that you'll want to seek out more. There's a lot out there including smaller magazines, and anthologies, and websites that are putting out original stuff just as good as you'll find in Asimov's or FNSF. The supply is huge, the demand is up to you. You have the power to create new professional markets and writers. All you have to do is want them. And that brings us around to today's story, which is also about a professional who adds value to his economy and takes his job very seriously. We present Practical Villainy by Jenny Lee Simner. This is Miss Simner's third story on Escape Pod. She started here way back in May with Three Wish Habit, and her story Free Will Baby was our feature for New Year's. She still lives in Tucson, Arizona, and writes for both adult and children's markets. This story appeared last spring in the magazine Say. Have you heard this one? And now you can say that you have. So don your armor and shield of righteousness and pick up that sword that says truth in big block letters. It's story time. Practical Villainy by Jannie Lee Simner The first thing I want you to know is that I drown those kittens for a reason. Villains rarely do anything without purpose, and I'm no exception to that or any other rule. Irrational, passionate acts are for heroes— With their bright armor and their grand ideas, their conviction that with enough heart they can right any wrong, unravel any curse. My dragons were once well fed on their kind, and their skulls still decorate the spikes above my gates. I can see you don't understand, but no matter. I'll explain, and you will listen. Prisoners always listen when villains tell their tales." I drowned the first kitten because of one of the dragons, the one who slept curled by the dungeon stairs, guarding my first imprisoned princess. The kitten had taken to pouncing the dragon's bright scales. She'd made a game of leaping his flames before they singed her fur. Such distractions wouldn't do. I needed dragons focused on their work. So into the river the kitten went, by the light of the full moon, where any watching hero could see as I held the pitiful creature beneath the surface. The second kitten, she'd been comforting my other princess up in the tower, causing a smile to light her troubled features. That princess's room could be seen from the town, and experience had taught me that heroes respond better to wistful sorrow than joy, however slight. I sent kitten number two to the castle kitchens. She was served in a stew to the tower princess soon after. That took care of kitten and unwanted happiness both. Back then I had one prince imprisoned, too, behind the dusty doors of my outdated library, but no kittens had seen fit to trouble him. I also had a daughter, whom I'd raised alone since my wife's death, raised her on broccoli and turnip greens, spinach and Brussels sprouts. Not because I'm a villain, to build strong teeth and bones. I knew she would take over my business when I was gone. For this is a business. A hero might go to such trouble and expense for glory, but to me... It's a carefully calculated investment. This much spent on dragons and crocodiles in the upkeep of royal prisoners. That much gained from would-be heroes in the town, as they purchased lodgings and food, clues and maps, good luck tokens and miniature portraits of their would-be loves. The townsmen gave me a portion of their take, but it was the lesser portion. To any hero's face, they called my town a wretched, God's-cursed place to live. But beneath their leakless roofs watching children who'd never known hunger playing in their well-tended gardens. They told a different story. Two out of three heroes never got past my moat and iron gates. They were mauled by the crocodiles, or pecked to death by the ravens, or eaten by the roses. I was proud of those roses. Growing them took a hard-earned knowledge of horticulture and magic. For the remaining heroes, the ones the bards sang about, the ones who drew more heroes in turn— I incurred more expense. These men and women walked my winding halls, avoiding stinging spider webs, stepping around poisonous pits and crushing stones, resisting the urge to pull deadly levers. I lost half again here. The remainder came to a three-way fork in the hall, the upper way leading to the tower, the middle to the library, the lower to the dungeon. I met them there. And so I did one typical October evening. I donned my most villainous clothes, black boots and black hose, black tunic and black cloak. I listened as the hero approached, footsteps echoing down a hall designed to carry every sound. "'We meet at last,' he said. His name was Sir Corwin, and he'd spent three days in the town vowing to destroy me and my wicked schemes. Dutifully, I replied, "'There is still time to turn from this foolish quest!' "'I squinted through what Sir Corwin thought was my good eye. "'The other was covered with a see-through patch "'to make him doubt my vision. "'Never!' "'He sounded very sure, "'but his bright armor showed the strain his voice denied, "'dented by ravens, pierced by roses as it was. "'Your shining shield is nothing against my sword. "'Your helm is nothing against my dragon's claws!' Now he thought sword and claws were the things to watch out for. So long as the princess Melinda is not free, I'll never bow to your threats. Melinda was the one in the tower. I cackled the evil laugh I'd spent years perfecting. (laughs) You'll not have her. We shall see about that. He drew his sword. I drew mine. We fought. He thought it to duel to the death. He was wrong. Enough duels like that, and sooner or later I'd lose. Any tavern gambler knew as much. Instead, I positioned myself carefully and fell. A bit too soon, a bit too gracefully, but he didn't notice that bit. One of two things always happened next. If I was lucky, he'd leave me and run for the princess. Within moments, a dragon would burn him to bone and ash, and I'd be through for the night. I wasn't lucky. He raised his sword to finish me off first. That's when I reached to the tiles beneath me and triggered one last trap. The knight gurgled and fell with barely a sound, a crossbow bolt through his chest. Pity. I preferred when their screams carried to the town, strengthening the fear, and resolve, of any other heroes waiting there. I decapitated Sir Corwin with a single stroke. The body I would feed to the dragons. The head would be displayed upon my gates. I wiped my sword on his cloak and sheathed it then reached for the body, preparing to carry it away. I heard a whisper of movement behind me, and I drew my sword once more. That wasn't very nice. Oh, Annie. I relaxed, turned with a smile. How were your lessons today? My daughter gazed up at me, red hair tangled with sweat, knees of her trousers torn, belt knife hanging askew. Contrary to the stories knights here, I didn't rape my wife, force her to bear my child, and kill her afterwards. Annie's mother died in childbirth. We villains are perfectly capable of love. We just don't let it get in the way of our work. Have you been fighting again? I looked at my daughter's scraped knees. Annie often fought with the boys in town, but lately they hadn't been fighting back very hard. I suspected Annie and I would need to talk about boys and other things soon. No, Annie said. There was something strange in her voice, something I hadn't heard there before. I haven't been fighting. School okay? Fine. Her eyes shifted to the decapitated head on the floor. Oh, here. I resheathed my sword and handed the head to her. Can you take this outside? Annie took the head in her hands and stared into its dead eyes. Once, the details of how to decapitate heroes had fascinated her as much as the crickets and beetles she collected in my gardens. Together we'd practiced on victims' remains, though the dragons complained loudly about delayed meals. The roses tore my trousers. Annie set the head gently down. You know better than that. I taught her young not to disturb the roses or swim in the moat. The roses won't bother anyone any more. I realized her hands were scratched, covered with dried blood. Annie, what of you? For a moment I lost all words, as I never did with any knight. You'd know how much those roses cost. In time and money both. I know. Yet you still did this? The ravens won't trouble anyone either, or the crocodiles. I grabbed my daughter's shirt, fighting the anger that rose in me. Anger serves little purpose, with heroes or children. What is wrong with you? Annie's face grew strange as her voice, strange and bitter. How can you ask me that? You of all people! Her lip quivered, tears threatened in her glistening eyes. I released my hold. Tears serve less purpose than anger, but I'd always hated to see my daughter cry. Annie. I knelt in front of her, realizing that for the first time she was taller than me when I did that. Annie. "'What's the matter?' "'The kittens,' she whispered. "'I'd explained to her about the kittens. "'Had she failed to understand?' "'The kittens were mine,' she said. "'I brought them home.' "'You should have told me. "'Annie knew she wasn't allowed pets. "'Dragons, crocodiles, and ravens were all my budget allowed.' "'They were a test. "'Tests were for killing knights. "'Tests had nothing to do with kittens.' "'I had to see what you would do.' "'Annie was crying now, tears flowing down her face. "'I tried to take her in my arms, but she pulled away. "'The knights are different,' she sobbed. "'They chose to come. I thought that made it okay. I I thought—' "'She rubbed her nose on her sleeve. "'I've been spending a lot of time in the library.' "'You and Prince Miles haven't.' "'I was reading your books,' she retorted. "'Did you know that in books heroes sometimes win?' "'That's why they're books, Annie. Stories.' "'I spoke as if she were a small child. "'Maybe she was, if she didn't understand this much. "'She stared at the motionless body beside us. "'The knights choose,' she said again, her voice low and fierce. "'And most of them are stupid. You taught me that, and it's true. "'But the kittens, they didn't choose, and you killed them anyway.' "'I told you,' I said, patiently as I could.' "'The dragon, the princess, the kittens were disturbing them. "'They had to go. "'You could have sent them away. "'They wouldn't have come back, "'not with the roses and ravens and crocodiles. "'You chose too. "'I chose, yes, to run a thriving business, "'to feed a prosperous town, "'to build something I could pass on to my daughter. "'Annie, child, you don't understand.' "'I understand. I understand perfectly.' "'I stood, feeling tired.' "'Go to your room, Annie. I'll tell you when you can come out.' "'A night without dinner would help her think things through. "'She wouldn't like the idea of starving any more than my townspeople. "'Go!' "'My daughter didn't move. "'Now, Annie.' "'I reached for her hand. "'She lashed out, belt knife between her fingers, and slashed at my arm. "'Then she ran. "'Foolish as any hero, I let her go, "'watching the blood my daughter had drawn drip slowly to the floor.' "'It was my first, my only, mistake. "'I thought she'd return. "'She'd get hungry. "'She'd get cold. "'She'd come back. "'But Annie wasn't the only one missing that night. "'When I went to feed the royal prisoners, "'they were gone too. "'And my dragons, "'dragons who'd been raised to trust my daughter "'as much as myself, "'were locked in the dungeon, "'tails tied into knots. "'Annie was almost as good with knots "'as with crickets and beetles.' She'd done it all in silence while i dueled with my knight in the hall. She'd made no speeches, issued no threats, taken no credit for her work. Heroes always took credit, even as they lay dying. But Annie wasn't a hero. She was my daughter, and I taught her well. I spent a long time rebuilding my business. Two ravens and a single crocodile bought on credit. A poor stepdaughter given me by a minor baron at no charge yet my town lies empty now my people gone elsewhere looking for work no heroes came not through all the months the baron's daughter languished in my tower until i could afford to feed her no more in my dungeon the dragons growl i throw them scraps of food when i can but i never open the door they are very very hungry i know why I hear tales of a young woman who travels the countryside, rescuing princes and princesses and commoners alike. She works by night, making little sound, leaving no name or explanation behind. The knights have begun to follow her example. I found one in unheroic peasant clothes, floating dead in my moat one dawn. He'd told no one in the town who he was, and purchased nothing there except a modest meal. Annie hasn't returned, though not through all the time the baron's daughter spent slowly dying. Perhaps she had too much else to do. Perhaps she didn't feel ready to face me. No matter. She'll come now. Minor nobility she could ignore, but a child stolen from its murdered parents to be raised as my villainous heir, that's a story she can't let go. She may not be a hero, but she can be stupid too. Stupid enough not to realize the tale isn't true. "'You're a prisoner, nothing more. "'When Annie's gone, I'll balance my books "'and decide whether or not to keep you. "'I won't make any more mistakes. "'I won't raise any more daughters. "'But first Annie will come, and will fight, "'and the fight will be fair, not out of respect, "'but because my daughter knows all my traps. "'Fair, yet not evenly matched. "'I have years of experience Annie lacks. "'Unless she has some tricks of her own, but no.' I saw the look in her eyes when she talked about the kittens. She has something of a hero in her after all. We'll fight, and I'll win, and one day my dragons will be well fed and my townspeople prosperous once more. Don't let any hero tell you otherwise. That's the way these stories go. Something scratches at the door. You look hopefully up, but then a kitten mews, and you slump in your bonds, hopeless once more. I know better. I adjust the black patch over my eye and reach for my sword. The kitten mews again, and when the doorknob turns, I'm ready. And that was our story. I love endings like that. Personally, I'm rooting for the dragons. And now a public service message.
1: Harold, are you podcasting again? Uh, I think you've done enough on that microphone today. Look at you. You're drunk. Oh, leave me alone, woman. I'm podcasting. I've four more shows to do. Four more? You've done 15 already this week. That's it. You've got a problem. You need help.
2: I don't need help. I don't need anybody's
1: help. Do you know someone like this? Do you or your spouse have a podcast where the beer flows as freely as the conversation? Then you could be one of the growing number of podcast alcoholics. That's why the Podcast Widows Organization has started APA. Alcoholic Podcasters Anonymous is an organization dedicated to help not only those who make the podcast, but those who listen as well. Alcoholic Podcasts Anonymous is a self-funded organization committed to educating those who produce and listen to drinking podcasts. You too could suffer from this growing disease and not even know it. If you're not sure, then take the APA test. Listen to the Dragon Page Wing It podcast. If you find that you have an uncontrollable urge to start a podcast where drinking is an integral part of the show, you may be at risk. If you find you cannot listen to Wing In It unless you drink along with Michael and Evo, you may need help. If you find that you cannot get enough Michael and Evo each week and often send emails asking for the shows to be released early just so you can play the drinking game, then you could have a serious problem and should contact the APA immediately. Remember, drinking and podcasting do not mix.
2: Go get me some more beer, woman!
1: This has been a public service announcement from your friends at the Dragon Page.
2: Hi, I'm Steve Ely, and I'm a winging it-aholic. Quick news. I just got word from Scott Janssens, our submissions editor, a.k.a. the Slush God, that we've received our 500th submission tonight. Woohoo! And those of you who are writers, I want you to think about that. We've had 500 submissions, counting flash pieces, We've podcast 60 excellent stories so far, and we've got another 15 or so in the hopper. Our acceptance rate is about 15%, and we pay the same for unpublished or previously published stories. What does that mean for you? It means you've got no excuse not to send us your best work and give us a shot at it. We want to see it. Escape Pod is released on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Free love for all, with an intact notice of authorship and license. All other rights are reserved by our authors, who get to love you on whatever terms they decide. Our opening music is provided to us by the generous permission of Daikaiju. Our closing music is something different again, in keeping with the story's theme. Many of you will have heard this song on other podcasts. If you haven't, the song is called Skull Crusher Mountain by Jonathan Colton, on his album Where Tradition Meets Tomorrow. I own the album, it's great. And he also releases on a Creative Commons license. You'll find a link to jonathancolton.com on our website, or you can find him at CD Baby or iTunes. So that's it for this week. Remember to use your powers for good, and have fun.
0: My secret lair on Skullcrusher Mountain I hope that you've enjoyed your stay so far I see you have met my assistant Scarface His appearance is quite disturbing But I assure you he's harmless enough He's a sweetheart, calls me master And he has a way of finding pretty things Squad ignites the atmosphere And all the fools who lead their foolish lives May find it quite explosive Well, it won't mean half as much to me If I don't have you here No, it isn't easy living here on Skullcrusher Mountain So maybe you could cut me just a little slack Would it kill you to be civil? I've been patient, I've been gracious And this mountain is covered with wolves Hear them howling, my hungry children Maybe you should stay and have another drink And think about me and you